Hello, uh, in case you couldn't hear me before, uh, my name is Matt, uh, pastor here, great to have you with us. Um, whenever we gather here as a church on Sunday mornings, uh, we always spend a good portion of our time uh, looking into the Word of God. And uh, the reason we do that is that uh, we just think there's um, nothing that's more helpful than to know uh, the mind of God, to know what it is that he has to say about uh, himself, what he has to say about uh, us as human beings. And so that's what we're going to do uh, again with our time together. Um, usually we, we kind of work through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been in the book of Philippians uh, through the fall. But in the lead up to Christmas, uh, we've been in a series called uh, Christmas Carols. And that's because uh, there are actually four songs that are part of the Christmas story in the Bible, in the book of Luke. Um, first is Mary's song. Uh, we took a look at that a few weeks ago where the angel comes to her and she responds kind of, kind of in song at the amazing thing that, things that God is doing. Uh, then Zechariah. And then uh, last week we looked at Simeon. We kind of jumped ahead to Simeon at the, the foot of the temple when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus. He's already born. Uh, but today we're looking really at the heart of the Christmas story, which is the songs that the angel sings when they're interacting with the shepherds. Uh, you've already heard that read in kind of our Advent reading, uh, but we are going to focus uh, for this time on the words of the angels themselves. And in particular, uh, the claim that the angels make that somehow the birth of Jesus is going to bring peace to the entire earth, which is a pretty big claim. Uh, here is kind of the crescendo of, of when they're speaking in Luke uh, 2, verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so clearly, peace is, is the essence of the Christmas story. Really, really, Christmas is all about what we find here in the text of Scripture. And this part in particular really is, is the focus, is uh, the nucleus of the story itself. Now, uh, I want to be careful because uh, sometimes when we uh, come to uh, how the church approaches Christmas, uh, we sometimes give the impression that there's nothing else good going on uh, when it comes to Christmas traditions. Uh, we, we tend to focus perhaps so much on the nativity that we, we forget the fact that there are lots of good things that are also part of our Christmas traditions uh, these days. Uh, for example, uh, you won't find Christmas baking within the pages of Scripture, and yet I believe it to be godly and righteous, <laughs> and those who make it are uh, saints, and so we are grateful for them. Uh, we'll have some of that. Maybe you already did have some. Uh, so there's lots of other good uh, just traditions that come with Christmas. Uh, Christmas lights. My family loves Christmas lights. We, we put them up. We go to Lafarge Lake. Uh, we book tickets early, and we went down to the Stanley Park train. Uh, they're so fun. They're great. They're very, they're very festive. I even love kind of the Christmas bustle. Like in the malls, I, I went with my boys uh, on, what was it, yesterday? We hit both malls, Lougheed and Coquitlam Center, just because we wanted, we had to get some things. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of bustle there. Now, it's, it's more fun if you're like almost done your Christmas shopping. You don't have to wade into it in the thick of it. But there does seem to be kind of uh, an extra level of cheer this time of year. Now, I know that's not always the case. Uh, depending on kind of what's going on in your life right now, s sometimes uh, when the Christmas season comes along, it is, it is not really a season of joy for you. It's a difficult season. And that's, that's the nature of our lives as, as human beings, that there are certain times, certain seasons where it's, it's very difficult. But by and large, uh, December tends to be that month with uh, an elevated level of cheer. And that's, that's a great thing. Uh, in the midst of the Christmas parties, office parties, team parties, class parties, uh, it's, it's a great time to rejoice and to just be with each other. But the challenge of the season is that because of all the, all the celebrating, 
uh, we can forget, or, or perhaps we never even realize, that the, the essence of the Christmas story is one of a divine message of peace brought by God to the entire world. Uh, the focus of the narrative itself that we heard read is very clearly about the arrival of a child and what the arrival of this child means to the entire world. This is why the words of the angel are key, uh, because they're the ones that actually herald the good news. They're the ones that, that proclaim that there's good news of great joy for all people, that this day a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord, and he brings peace to the entire earth. If you really think about it, those are some pretty grand claims, right? To, to say that because of a child, one child, the entire earth, that there will be peace for every man, woman, and child the world over, that, that's a pretty majestic claim. Uh, but what's interesting is that this kind of announcement, even this terminology of a savior being born, and that there's, um, that there's this grand uh, proclamation of good news when, when a child is born, um, it would not have been totally unfamiliar for the people at the time. In fact, even the term savior was one that was used uh, about other people in the first century cultures. So those people who would help uh, the culture, they were often called saviors. So for example, doctors. Doctors were sometimes called uh, saviors because of course they, they would help people. Uh, even certain rulers, if they had enough influence and power, sometimes we find in historical documents that they are called saviors. Even, strangely, uh, some of the philosophers of the day, they were called saviors. I guess because they help people with their philosophy problems. I'm not exactly sure. But it's sort of the same today. I mean, we have a special term for those people who graduate with a degree in philosophy. Uh, we just call them baristas, right? So it's very similar <laughs> that there they help us with our caffeine needs. Okay, I had, I had a minor in philosophy. So anyway... Um, so the terms themselves were, were pretty familiar. Even this idea of a grand announcement. Now there's uh, a good example of this. Uh, this man, uh, Caesar Augustus, who uh, is part of the Christmas story. He's the one, there he is, who uh, you know, told everyone that they had to go back to their hometown for the census. Uh, if you look in the pages of history, it says very clearly that when he was born, there were heralds that went out into the Roman, uh, all the Roman lands. And they proclaimed good news. That was the terminology they used, that a savior had been born. Uh, at the time, his name was Octavius. He was, an heir, he was the heir to Julius Caesar. Uh, in time, he claimed the throne. He had to you know, deal with some rivals and had some battles. But when he did finally claim the throne, uh, it was the year 31 BC, so 31 years before this moment right now, uh, the Roman Senate gave him a new name. And that name was Augustus, which means exalted one. So if you think about it, in the minds of those people at the time, when the angels were saying these things, there was already someone who uh, had his birth had been proclaimed, been good news. Heralds had gone out. They called him Savior. They even called him Exalted One. They were clearly looking to this man for some manner of salvation, some sort of hope and help for, for the land. And it wasn't unfounded. The, the Roman Empire really did bring a lot of help to, to the region. I mean, just think of all the good things that came with being a subject of Rome. Uh, if there were any military threats, the Roman army would protect you. That was no small thing. There, there was no UN at the time. If you were on your own, you were really on your own. But if you were a subject of Rome, they had their military forces which would protect you. Uh, because Rome was uh, so stable and so imposing, there was a social stability. So, so things like currency was very stable. That the local governments, the local governors, they were also very stable. This was a good thing for the economy. 
They even built uh, infrastructure. The famous Roman roads would connect all the known world. That was a great thing if you were a merchant. There was a lot of benefits that came from being part of the Roman Empire. Uh, even water. Right? The Roman aqueducts brought water into the cities. There was better health. Even arts and, and sports and leisure, they all flourished under the Roman Empire. There was a real sense in which Rome brought peace to the known world. In fact, uh, historians, looking back on that time, they have a word for it. They call it the Pax Romana, which is the Roman peace. It was a peace like the world had never seen. But of course, it wasn't a perfect peace, because the only way you would really become part of the Roman Empire is if your army was destroyed by their army, right? So there's a lot of bloody battles that would lead to this peace, And you can imagine if you were conquered by Rome, they would come and give you terms of peace. But really what they were saying is, now we are in charge of you. We're going to tax you. You're going to have to follow our laws. We're going to have a Roman garrison placed in your town in case anyone decides to rebel. And then we will destroy you also. But there's a lot of benefits to being part of the empire. We think you're going to enjoy it. So please, right? Our offer of peace is one that we think you will appreciate. Um, And really what we see here is that the peace that Rome brought was a peace from the outside in, meaning they didn't really care about the individual. What they cared about was a lack of conflict, right? Because of their strength, they could ensure a measure of peace. And their hope was that eventually you as an individual would come to terms, come to peace with the fact that Rome was in charge. And this is really the kind of peace that humans have been giving each other uh, throughout all the ages. This, This circumstantial external peace, even today. In the great nation of of Canada, if you think about what it is that we are striving for as a culture, it very often has to do with some sort of external or circumstantial peace, right? We're thankful because we have a great medical system, a a pretty good legal system. We have a military peace, partly from us, partly because of our neighbors to the south. But regardless, there's peace in our land. We're thankful for it. There are so many ways in which we are trying to better society and give better opportunities, and they all are to do with the external things of our society. And our hope is that if we can create a culture with with economic opportunities, with educational opportunities, that this peace that we enjoy on the outside will work its way into our hearts, that we as individuals will be at peace with who we are and where we're going. This kind of peace, the inner peace, uh, the Bible has a word for it. It's, it's shalom. It's a Hebrew word, which means that you are at peace with yourself. You're at peace with your future. You go to bed at night, you wake up in the morning, and you have an inner sense of peace. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, but it means that with all the circumstances in your life, you really are at peace. Now, the interesting thing is that inner peace can't ultimately be achieved by external means. If you think about the dynamic between those two, um, one of the most peaceful environments that we can probably think of would be a, a vacation on a tropical beach, right? If we just think if I could get there, man, I would be at peace, right? I would, I would be relaxed. I would be, I wouldn't have all the stresses of life. It would be fantastic. But I think we also know that if there's something that is um, not peaceful within us, when we go to that beach, we still will not find peace there. If there's a tension in our hearts, if there's something that we're struggling with, with if, there's, if there's bitterness, if there's some sort of tension in the home, whatever it is that's within us, we will take it to whatever place that claims to have peace. You can't actually bring inner peace simply through external means. We see this in our day. We see this all over our culture. Canada is a place where there are 
massive levels of peace and prosperity and, and blessing. But despite being in one of the greatest places to live in the world, despite our high level of literacy, despite all the opportunities we have, we still struggle to find inner peace. We still have surprisingly high levels uh, of anxiety, of stress, and you see it come out of the holiday season. Uh, there's a, a woman in our community group who said that last week she and a few friends went to the mall, uh, not to shop, but just to be there to, uh, they wanted to pray for the people that, that they saw. And she said as she entered the mall, she said it's very different if you're not there to buy something and you're just kind of people watching. What, what she said is that um, the faces, the expressions on the faces going by uh, weren't always filled with Christmas cheer. There was, there was a lot of stress, a lot of apparent burden, not just from the, the parcels they were carrying, but an, an internal burden that people were, seemed weighted down by whatever stresses were going on in their life. And I think we know that this is true not just in the holiday season, that regardless of kind of where we are or, or what's going on, there is, there is always the, uh, the, the unsettledness that persists in our heart. So how is it that we can have peace on so many levels in our society and yet still struggle with inner peace? Why do we still long for a greater depth of peace despite all of the achievements that we've made? The secular answer, I think outside the church, I think the answer would be, well, we we just haven't got there yet. That we've come so far since the time of Rome, we've achieved so much, if we could just better our society even more, that then we would achieve it. What we really need are better social systems. We need a a fairer system of government. We need a better distribution of wealth. We need for every person to have the same educational opportunities. And I think we would all respond with, yeah. Yeah, of course we want those things. We want the Tri-Cities to be a place where every person, regardless of background, regardless of where they are, they're cared for. Whatever they want to pursue in their life, they have the, the means to do that. We all want that for our society. But... But I think given our advancement thus far as human beings, I mean, shouldn't we be skeptical about those who have no inner peace themselves being able to create a society with lasting peace for all people in the world? Isn't there a necessary disconnect there? Shouldn't there be some questions that we ask about what it means to actually be a human being? That perhaps there's some essential quality of humanity that that just isn't peaceful. I mean, just think about the way that we interact with each other. I'm I'm not talking on a global scale, but just interpersonally. I mean, why is it that that we continue to make selfish choices, even though we know that they hurt people? Why is it that we allow greed to control us, even though we know that it's destructive? Why is it that we find it so very, very difficult uh, to be genuinely connected with someone, to be able to to show love and to receive love without any any bitterness, without any suspicion, without any strings attached, to be genuinely selfless with each other? Why is it so difficult for us? It seems that for all of the saving that has gone on throughout human history, like for all the Caesars, the medical innovation, social innovation, for all the ways in which we have been saved, there remains to be something that we all need to be saved from, and that's ourselves. That that, that we are actually the problem. That the reason that the world over, even the most progressive cultures are struggling with inner peace is because human beings are present. That that there's a flaw within us, a a corruption, kind of like on a a hard drive. 
right? When you find out that that hard drive is corrupt, no matter what you try to do to use it properly, no matter what good data you put on it, it it will still not work because there is an inherent flaw. We have that inherent flaw. We have a nature that resists what is ultimately good for us. Uh, The Bible calls it sin. But, But call it whatever you like, we can't deny the fact that Uh, a lack of peace uh, persists in our culture and that we are the common denominator. And despite our best efforts as human beings, we tend to undermine the very thing that we are striving towards. And that's why the story of Christmas is unique. That's why the story of Christmas is something altogether new because it's not another attempt by humanity to make things better. It is an unmistakable act of God. I want to look again at the interaction between the angels and the shepherds and just listen for the, for the ring of divinity about it. Here we are, uh, beginning in Luke uh, 2, verse 9. And it says this, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, that's the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is very clearly a divine moment. Everything about this is supernatural. I mean, there's an angel within itself is supernatural. The fear that the shepherds uh, feel you see that time and again in the Bible when a messenger for God comes and there's, there's light shining in the sky. There's a star that moved over and there's not just one angel. There's a whole host of angels. There's like a gaggle of angels there. So many angels. Why? Because this is very clearly an event that God has orchestrated. This is not something that human beings have done. This is a divine intrusion into the created world. And yet, there is also a conspicuous humanity about the whole thing. I mean, the very same story is also about a young mother and her husband. And they had to to travel because Caesar said they had to go. And so they went back to the hometown and she's with child. And while they're there, they, they come into trouble because it's the time for the baby to arrive. And so they're searching for somewhere to have this baby. And they find a, a rudimentary shelter, a stable or a cave. And there, the most human thing that could happen happens. She gives birth to a son a son who is every bit as human as his mother and father. And so you have here within the Christmas story these two seemingly contrasting messages. Right? Is this a story of divine revelation where God comes down to fix everything? Or is this a human story about a man who would one day grow up and change the course of history? And of course the answer is that it's both. It's humanity and divinity brought together by the miracle by the power of God in the incarnation. And the fact that there is this this mysterious unity of two things that that couldn't possibly come together, this is the thing which ensures, which tells us that the peace of the Christmas story is something new. The peace of the Christmas story is an altogether different peace than that which humanity tries to bring. It's not another attempt to bring peace from the outside in. In fact, Jesus brings a peace from the inside out. And the reason that he's able to do that is because he entered into humanity itself. I'm not sure. I mean, I would guess that in your life, you've had someone who's had a great positive impact on your life. I hope that's true. 
Now, if there's someone like that, maybe like a, a coach or a teacher or a mentor, a youth leader, uh, isn't it true that, that those people who generally have a real impact on us are not just those with wisdom, but they are also those who are willing to involve themselves in our lives, right? They're willing to, to come close. They're willing to stay after practice or, or practice or come earlier or take phone calls in the middle of the night. They are those who really draw near to us. And this is the, this is the beauty and the power of Jesus. He sought to help us, but not from a distance. See, he knew that what humanity really needed was someone to enter into our pain, into our suffering, into our anxiety, and to bring peace from the inside out. That's the hope of the Christmas story, the peace that the angels are talking about. Now, the question that remains, though, is how exactly does this happen? How exactly does Jesus bring that kind of peace? What is it about Jesus as the Son of God, being born as a human being, that brings such lasting peace? Well, if he really is God, and he really did come into human form, the peace that he brings is, uh, I mean, it's, there's millions of instances in the way that he would bring peace to each one of us. But I want to focus on two. Two ways in which Jesus brings peace. Uh, ways that I think strike at the heart of what it means to be human. So in the last uh, couple of minutes we have together... I hear these two ways. Number one, Jesus brings peace to our failures. Some of us here know the anxiety of stress that comes with trying to be perfect. If you don't know that stress and you're married, it's very likely that you're married to someone who knows that kind of stress because they often go together. Um, The stress that comes with trying to be perfect seems to be a, a natural inclination of our heart that we want to do good. We want to be good. We want to achieve the very most that we can. And with that comes a pressure, sometimes a debilitating pressure of of failure. What if we don't make it? What if we don't get the grades we need or the business doesn't succeed? This is something that crushes us because we have this desire to be perfect. And even if we're not perfectionists, we nonetheless know the, the angst of remorse when we do something wrong. When we say something that really hurts someone. When we interact with someone in a way that's unloving or unkind and we feel this pang of, of regret because we've, we've done it wrong again. See, the good news of Jesus is that from the time of his birth to the time of his death, he never did anything wrong. He was always perfect. He always interacted with everyone in his life with perfect grace, perfect patience, perfect love. He did everything perfect. The Bible says that he never sinned. And the great thing about that is not that he is an example for us to live up to. He is not an example for us. He is our savior. Which means that he not only took on humanity, he also took on our failures at the cross. See, the Christmas story and the Easter story, they are, they're connected. And with Jesus, what we have is one who loved us to such an extent, was so good that he sacrificed himself for us and... In our faith, when we trust and believe in him, there's an amazing exchange that happens. All of our sin, all of our failure goes on to him, and all of his perfection is put on to us. Which means that our failures don't define us anymore. It means that for those of us who continue to live as Christians, we can live in a freedom not, not fearing failure, not having to earn anyone's grace, not having to earn the grace of God. We have received it by faith as a gift. This is an amazing gift of peace. This is the forgiveness of God, the peace of God that comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which is only possible because he came in the form of a child. 
so that he could live a full life. He could endure all the temptations that we go through, everything that we go through, and then come to the point of bringing us peace on the cross. A peace which is not only for this life, but is for the life to come. That was the first way. Jesus brings peace to our failures. But secondly, Jesus brings peace through persistent and enduring love. Um, along with our yearning for peace, as human beings, we long to be loved. Right? We, we want to be known and accepted and understood. Uh, these are good things. These are the things that bring peace into our heart. Because as people know us and accept us, we feel this sense of that things are okay with our lives. Families are a great opportunity to show this kind of love. One of the great things, the best things I think about Christmas is that uh, at its best, it's a time when families come together and we get to really enjoy time together. Uh, for us, uh, we have two families in the, in the area. We have the, the Mackie Christmas, that's my wife's family, and the Glezos Christmas, that's, that's mine, the Greek family. And uh, we really enjoy our time together. Uh, they're very different. The, the Mackie clan is a large clan. There's many kids, many grandkids. It's just a, a loud noise all the time. Uh, when I married into the family, I would bring earplugs with me to the family gatherings because there was such a shrill, it was just, but you know what? We love it. Everyone, why? Because we're together. Because that's how we show love to each other is to just be loud and joyful. It's, it's a great thing. The Glezo's Christmas is different. It's just me and my brother. Um, there's more, you know, hangers-ons now, but it's, it's much more subdued. We can actually talk about things. And in that, there's love there too. So families are a way in which we, we feel this love. We know this in, in friendships, in interpersonal relationships with people that we know, people that we love, we've known for years. We really do have an opportunity to feel this sense of love. But while we love each other as human beings, we know that we don't love each other perfectly. We don't love each other with the persistence and the endurance that we need to really have internal peace. And that's because while we have experiences of loving each other, we also have experiences of being unloved. We have the ache of, of neglect or, or betrayal or rejection. But see, God's love is different because God is different. God is ultimately peaceful in of himself. He is wholly loving because he is perfect and pure. And that means that the love he has for us is perfect. It's consistent it never goes away. It's affectionate and sacrificial and enduring and persistent. And this love that God has for us is demonstrated in the coming of Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have the one who drew near to us in affectionate love, who entered into our state. Jesus is the one who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sake. Jesus is the one who endured in his love through pain to the point of death on our behalf. And Jesus is the one who persists in seeking us so that he might fill us with his loving presence. See, this is how Jesus brings a peace from the inside out. Because he is flawless. He is utterly peaceful in of himself. And in that peace, out of that peace and love, he begins in the one place for us that truly matters. He begins in our heart. And he brings to bear that which we truly need. He fills us with his perfect love. And so it is an altogether different peace. A peace that endures, a peace that is divine, and a peace that changes us from the inside out. I want you to look one more time before we close at the words of the angels. They say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The coming of Jesus 
is evidence of the fact that God is pleased with us. That we don't need to earn anything in his sight. We don't need to try to, to try to do something to make him pleased with us. All that we need do is turn to him in faith. To believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do. That he is our savior. And in that moment, as we turn to him, we have a peace that begins in our heart because we have a new heart. One that identifies with Jesus as our savior. And from that place of peace, it infiltrates into the rest of our life. Now, don't hear me saying that that means the life of every Christian is perfect and that circumstantially everything is great. That's, that's not the case. We all struggle. I imagine this room, even on Christmas Eve, there are many of us who come here and we are weighted down. There are burdens, there are trials, there are, are difficulties that we are going through. But the hope of Christmas, the reality of Jesus is that even in the midst of our struggles, there is a peace that endures because it speaks of our eternal hope, because it speaks of our new nature, one who is perfect in the eyes of God. And so my hope, our hope, as you've come to gather with us, is that as you come to know Jesus more fully, that you will indeed find a peace, a peace for your own heart, a peace for your own life, one that will begin now and will go on into eternity. So with that in mind, let me pray as we close. And we're going to have one more song to sing. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the peace that you brought through the coming of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the truth, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you left heaven and came down and was born in the form of a human being. Jesus, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a life that we could not live on our own and that in your, in your grace, you give it to us as a gift. I pray, God, for each one here. I pray that you would, you would visit us right now. I pray, God, wherever we are at, whatever level of, of anxiety or peace or joy that we are at, God, I, I pray, Jesus, that you would uh, fill us with your presence. And I pray, Lord, for each one here, whether we're part of the church or not or just visiting, I pray, Jesus, that you would bring us comfort and hope and love. And I thank you, Lord, for the message of Christmas, for the peace that you brought. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.